Good morning and welcome to another interactive installment of African Dialogue. It's a new week, new topics all together and you tuned right here into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. Remember that our frequency is 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today on the program, we'll be discussing the ethical considerations for a use of an unregistered intervention for a certain drug that's going to be used for Ebola virus. It's not going to be used, but it's actually being used and is on the market right now in certain parts of West Africa. So we'll look at that particular issue about the the issue of that particular drug, what is actually making sure that it is a safe drug and who is actually monitoring the use of that particular drug. But before we get into that story, let's get an update from the news desk. We have Anne Musa standing by. In the headlines, Ebola test results on South African man expected soon. Robert Mugabe urges Southern Africa to reduce dependence on aid. And Somali journalists calls on governments to ensure a fair trial for colleagues. Good morning. Results are expected in the next few hours from Ebola tests on a South African man who was working as a health and safety officer in Liberia. The man has been admitted to Johannesburg Charlotte Matlake Hospital in case he's contracted the deadly disease. The man returned to South Africa 12 days ago and seemed to be in good health, but he's now begun showing signs of fever. The tests are being done by the National Institute for Communicable Diseases, South Africa's health deputy... Health Department spokesperson Joe Maila. As we promised the nation since the outbreak of Ebola in West Africa, that one of the things that we're going to do is to make sure that we inform South Africans from time to time what is going on. As part of our update, we will uh, be able to tell the nation what is going on with this particular patient. Meanwhile, Guinea is reopening an Ebola clinic in its remote southeast as Sikh nationals living in Liberia and Sierra Leone spill over the borders in search of better treatment. Guinea was the first country in West Africa to be affected by the virus, which causes unstoppable bleeding and has killed more than a 1,000 people. Guinea says it has brought the outbreak under control, but it's worried that a poor response to the epidemic from its neighbors will reverse its progress. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe says Southern Africa should stop its over-reliance on foreign aid. He's the newly appointed chairperson of the 15-nation bloc Sandak region. Mugabe says reliance on foreign funding hampers the work of the regional body. Colleagues, ladies and gentlemen, our continued over-reliance on the generosity and goodwill of our cooperating partners tends to compromise our ownership and sustainability of our SADIC programs. How can we proudly claim SADIC to be our own organization when close to 60% of the SADIC programs are externally funded? 
South Sudan government troops claim they've killed 120 rebels in separate battles in three of the country's 10 states, but the rebels have disputed the figure without disclosing their casualty figures. In Jongli, the fighting is reportedly taking place around Ayod County. Unlike Apanal and Unity, which have areas controlled by government troops and rebels, the Juba government spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Marie Samel, has confirmed that fighting is taking place in three states. Rebel forces of Reg Machar attacked our position in Ayot County, Apanail State. In this attack, the rebels have been repulsed, leaving behind 120 dead on the ground. The National Union of Somali Journalists have called on the Somali government to ensure a fair trial of three colleagues arrested last week. Radio Shabela and its sister station Sky FM were shut down on Friday after they were reportedly critical of a military operation to disarm a militia leader in the capital Mogadishu. The operation escalated into heavy gun battles. Sixteen workers were released yesterday, but the station remains off the air. Radio station owner Abdi Malik Yusuf Mohamud, Sky FM Director Mohamud Mohamed Dair and Shabela Deputy News Editor Ahmed Abdi Hassan, however, remain in police custody. And finally, Egypt and Norway plan to co-host a donor conference to help towards the reconstruction of Gaza. The Norwegian Foreign Ministry made the announcement earlier. Cairo has been mediating talks between Palestinian and Israeli negotiators since the start of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Oslo is the international donor group for the Palestinians. Meanwhile, a five-day ceasefire expires later today. Recapping the top stories, Ebola tests results on a South African man expected soon. Robert Mugabe urges Southern Africa to reduce dependence on aid. And Somali journalist calls on the Somali government to ensure a fair trial for colleagues. Thank you to Anne Musa for that news update. Remember, you are listening to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Moshatama, and the time right now is a seven minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. A reminder that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And you can join us as well online on www.channelafrica.org if you are not near your shortwave radio but uh, during this hour, we want to hear from you. So how you can interact with us is via Twitter. We have a Twitter handle at Channel Africa One. Or you can SMS us your views on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. As you heard in that news bulletin by Anne, Ebola seems to be the big story that continues to make headlines on the continent. Now, last week Tuesday, the World Health Organization authorized the use of ZMAP, which is an unlicensed serum which has been made to be used in West African countries to treat the now widespread Ebola virus. Now, ZMAP was authorized 
as the death toll surpassed uh, the number of 1,000 people who died due to the epidemic. However, there has been an ethical debate amongst health experts which questions the use of the drug, which has only been tested previously on monkeys. Now, to help us understand more about what's happening right now, coming and dealing with this Ebola virus, we joined on the line by Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who is from the Division of Public Health Surveillance and Response, as well as Dr. Thomas Nirenda from the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trial Partnerships. Now, I want to start with you, Dr. Nirenda. Firstly, do you agree and support the World Health Organization's move in order to contain the Ebola virus by authorizing this uh, new drug titled ZMAP. Good morning, Benjamin, and good morning to your listeners as well. Um, and thanks for inviting me. Um, I must say um, I do totally agree with the WHO recommendations for this rapid uh, response. Um, however, there may be, as you said, some ethical questions that um, uh, are underlying. And these are issues that uh, probably um, uh, are subject of debate uh, because these are issues that um, special committees need to decide, especially na- national authorities in countries. But in, in a whole, I think it's a very pragmatic move. This is a deadly viral uh, uh, disease taking away lives at an uh, unprecedented rate, and something has to be done. And um, if you look at the WHO uh, recommendation during their discussion, they actually said that um, as long as certain conditions are met, this drug can be used. And these conditions are ethical con- uh, uh, considerations which uh, surround uh, issues of uh, informed consent uh, to the person who is affected, freedom of choice, confidentiality, respect, and if all these are taken into account, um, one wouldn't think that this, that is an irrational decision. Now, Professor Lucille Bloomberg, welcome to the program. What's your view about the release of this drug? Yes, I think I, I agree with what's been said. Um, given the high mortality and no specific treatment and an outbreak that's completely out of control, I think a treatment intervention is important. I think... Um, uh, some of the limitations, however, you know, following the ethical debate and uh, agreement that it should be used would, 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 uh, would uh, unfortunately challenge uh, how it will be used or if it will be used. I think the supply of, of ZMAP is a problem. I think it's very limited. And then how to choose who will give it and how to monitor the response given the uh, very difficult uh, health setting uh, in the countries. I think are, are very important things. I think the outbreaks are, are very volatile, and uh, you know, if, if the drugs are, are are used and there happen to be some adverse reactions, um, you could make things uh, even more difficult. Now, Professor Bloomberg, I highlighted earlier on in our introduction that uh, uh, the only test that we know of uh, on this particular drug is previously on monkeys. Do you think that we should continue to have these these drugs tested, or is this happening currently? I can't comment on that. Hmm. I would imagine there are ongoing, I mean, there are a very small number of uh, animal studies, so I would imagine there are ongoing and, uh, yes, I think the next step would be to, to try it in, in, in the human setting. 
And uh, clearly it's not going to go through the normal studies that, that drugs go through, trying them for safety and dosage on, on healthy individuals. It's going straight into the, the kind of level three uh, studies, which uh, yeah, brings quite a lot of difficulties. But given the setting, I think it is the right decision. Now, as an ordinary person, I'm not sure how these clinical trials take place. Maybe, Dr. Nyerenda, you can help us. In your line of duty, how do you normally go about conducting clinical trials? Well, uh, so I don't conduct clinical trials, but uh, the EU-Africa Partnership, which I work for, uh, is funding quite a lot of clinical trials, and I'm involved in them as uh, one of the persons that award these grants and uh, across Africa and also monitor them. But maybe I can just uh, illustrate uh, using the uh, Zima uh, um, example. So, uh, as Professor Bromiga said, the first, you know, this drug has got to have strong animal data that it works really well in animals and um, produces the desired effect. And those animal studies, uh, they are done somewhere in the lab, you know, and in a confined space, and all conditions taken uh, seriously are recorded. And when you start to introduce them in humans, now we start talking about uh, clinical trial phases. So uh, just to simplify the issues, um, they are phase one to phase four of clinical trials. Now, the entry into humans, if we call phase one, um, is usually a, a very protected experiment, uh, and usually you uh, do it in health individuals. Well, usually, the, you know, normally you do it in health individuals. And um, at this point, uh, we have to remember that the, the ethics around uh, testing untested products in humans, so around protecting the rights and dignity of the volunteers, because these, these are people who are you know, uh, have to take that uh, choice to, to, to join a study. Um, so say in phase one, as, uh, as I said, you, the, the, the first thing you want to see is how safe is it? I'm sure it's more population, like 10 people or 20 people. And then you record and meticulously uh, uh, analyze your data so that you present it so that it, you can, it can take you into phase two. And in phase two, what some people call proof of principle studies, then you want to see, did this drug really, um, uh, is it showing what it, it promised to show in animals? Um, at, at, at this stage, yeah, again, you use a small population, uh, you collect more data, more safety data, which is the key and fundamental thing uh, you, you want to demonstrate. And when we come to phase three trials, uh, these are large trials uh, which involve people who have the disease. And at that point, in phase two, you have already shown what is the most effective dose or safest dose that most people wouldn't react to, but it would be effective enough. And all these, uh, these other associated studies. Um, uh, and, and then in phase three, when you have this large pool of patients, uh, either in one site or one country or many countries, depending on what the statistician is telling you, if he says you need 10,000 Ebola patients to, to demonstrate whether this drug works, you need to recruit as much as those. And at, at that point, you're giving it to, to people who have the, the disease and you want to, to, to measure what is the 
effectiveness of, of your drug at a large uh, population mm-hmm. which are carrying the disease. Um, and then phase four is kind of different sort of studies because at phase three, when now this, the, 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 the drug is promising and shown good results, you apply to the regulatory board that we want to call this now a medicine uh, mm-hmm. and it needs to be on the shelves. It is there, and now it goes into disease control programs. Patients are able to take it. But in phase four, you continue to uh, monitor uh, the safety of this drug now at a big population level. So these are the kind of roughly uh, the, the stages that um, scientists go through mm. uh, in terms of drug uh, development and, and management. And this, this is a lengthy process mm. from phase one to phase three you could take anything between five to ten years. So, uh, you know, it depends from drug to drug or vaccine to vaccine or microbicide to microbicide. Mm. Uh, some will be shorter periods, some will be longer. And, and you need heavy investment mm. in, terms, in terms of money, in terms of developing sites, in terms of developing people. Uh, uh, and I think these are the issues that um, uh, we need to be talking about when it comes to uh, catastrophic emergencies like this that affects Africa. Yeah, well, we'll come back to that. And I want us to look at how safe this drug is in terms of the fact that it hasn't been through the process that you've just described, uh, Dr. Nyiranda. But you are listening uh, to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Moshatama. The time right now is exactly 18 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Today we're speaking about uh, this uh, ZMAP, which is a drug that has been authorized by the World Health Organization. And uh, it has been authorized because of the seriousness of the widespread Ebola virus and how many people have died from the virus. But do you think that uh, we should be using this particular drug as it hasn't been through all these uh, phases or phases of clinical trials? Let us know your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. I've heard that some other people, maybe this is radical to say, maybe some people are saying, well, are you using Africans as guinea pigs for this particular drug? Let us know your thoughts. Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. We'll be back after this short break. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to Channel Africa, as you heard there, and uh, you are listening to us on our frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. I think this is our third program looking at Ebola. Uh, This is how serious this uh, issue is right now. I know at the beginning when we started really talking to people about the outbreak and uh, uh, what was talked about was really uh, containing uh, the virus, but now we're looking at even treatment, and uh, it's very much uh, a serious condition and a state that 
that we're in right now when it comes to the Ebola um, uh, situation. But we want to hear from you. We have a new drug that has been released to some countries in West Africa. It's titled the Z-Map. It has been authorized by the World Health Organization. Now, we're asking today, is this an ethical thing to do? Because uh, uh, the only way it has been tested was through uh, previous clinical trials uh, on monkeys. So we don't know how safe this particular drug is. But maybe we can find out. I don't know if our experts today know, but we joined on the line by Professor Lucille Bloomberg from the Division of Public Health Surveillance and Response, as well as Dr. Thomas Niranda, and he's the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trial Partnership. Now, Professor Bloomberg, in terms of the safety of this particular drug, do we know how safe it is? So, um, in, in view that it's not really been tested outside of monkeys and only three patients have received it, there's really no information um, on, on adverse reactions. So, you know, that's, that's really a very big question mark. And I think it's very difficult to know what one can expect. I mean, the first two patients, in fact, uh, responded very well. Fortunately, the third patient uh, died. But there's also an issue about at what stage of the disease it's used and how effective it would be. And the earlier it's used, the better. So that would affect the outcome. So no, there's no safety data. Mm. And you, you work with a lot of health surveillance and response in terms of different maybe issues of uh, um, outbreaks. But looking at the Ebola outbreaks, uh, they've always been contained using available inter- interventions like early detection and isolation, uh, contact tracing and monitoring and adherence to uh, rigorous procedures of infection control. How do we even begin to think of using uh, untested interventions such as this at this stage right now? Do you think this is a, is a healthy move, Professor Bloomberg? Well, that's that's uh, the difficult question. I mean, we're having large numbers of patients and a very high mortality rate, a death rate, and a failure of the normal interventions uh, to be applied properly and therefore to you know, have the success that previous outbreaks have, have uh, had. So, you know, this is another tool to reduce uh, death rates and to you know, contribute to outbreak uh, control. If you can cure patients, you have less chance of transmission and therefore some opportunity to, to break that chain of transmission in a small way because of the small number of drugs. Available. Yeah. Now, joining us on the line, we also have Sarah Barber uh, from the World Health Organization, and she's a representative based in Pretoria in South Africa. Sarah, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Now, we've already highlighted some of the ethical considerations now with the release of this ZMAP uh, uh, drug. And we've highlighted as well that uh, it hasn't really been tested on humans yet, and we don't know how safe it is. Tell us a little bit about the World Health Organization's process right now. Are they still testing this particular drug, or are they still just releasing it? In terms of the shortages of the drug, where are we right now? Are there enough uh, drugs to uh, actually distribute out there? Um, So the first question on testing, um, WHO is not testing the drug. I think we have essentially um, uh, 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 the U.S. government, uh, a a U.S. government initiative and three or four private companies that have therapeutic candidates for Ebola. They are in early development, and we do expect one to begin phase one testing later this year. And the phase one testing is essentially the first in a series of four phases to test safety and side effects in humans using small groups of people. So the WHO is not involved in, in, in the testing um, the testing of these drugs. 
Um, I think the, the issue that you've raised is that the quantities are very limited. So I think for, for ZMAP, for example, we, still, we just have a handful of quantities, and they have been, they have been uh, um, given to just a few health workers. Um, regardless of the fact that if, even if they do sort of ramp up production, we do know that there will be very, very limited quantities. Um, but the WHO's role in this particular instance was to convene a panel of medical ethicists to examine whether or not it was ethical to essentially use um, unproven interventions with unknown efficacy and side effects in this particular circumstances for the 2014 Ebola outbreak. And they outlined that it was ethical, but it had to be done under certain criteria including transparency in all aspects of care, informed consent, um, respect for the person, dignity, freedom of choice, um, and also under the conditions that uh, when it was administered, there would be an obligation to collect the data and collect the information so that these data could be used to further understand the safety, efficacy, and side effects of these inter interventions. And they also concluded that it was really critical to continue with the full battery of clinical trials to understand uh, fully the, the safety, side effects, and efficacy of these drugs. And, and Sarah, in terms of, I know it's at an early stage right now, has there been any kind of a response on detecting how uh, the ZMAP is, uh, uh, is, is, is actually uh, uh, working in terms of uh, to the people that have actually been using the ZMAP? Is it effective for those particular patients? I think we, we don't have that information at all. It's been used in just a handful of patients. Um, it, we hope that there were data collected in terms of how those patients responded, but we really don't know in the case of the two um, U.S. health workers whether or not it was the drug that uh, worked, uh, that, was, that was efficacious, or whether or not it was all the other things we do to support patients in this epidemic, including providing palliative care, ensuring that they have hydration, maintaining their oxygen status and treating them for any complicating infections. So um, we know now that um, if you do provide this palliative care, about, uh, you know, half of the patients survive. Um, and, and we need to be able to continue to provide this supportive therapy um, and make sure that all these patients have palliative care and give them a chance of survival. Mm. Now, Dr. Thomas Nirenda, there have been some uh, questions that arise from the way uh, this uh, drug has been released. One would argue that there were no untested interventions when the HIV-AIDS virus was detected. Does this not bring health ethical questions around this issue with other areas of health? Well, yeah, well, it does. And um, these are the kind of... Um, everyday ethical questions that um, uh, we are faced with, uh, especially in areas that high endemic areas. Um, but one has got to remember that in this underlying fundamental principle of uh, protecting uh, the person's rights and dignity who gets uh, an untested uh, uh, substance, um, I think the other speakers have already said there are certain criteria that have got to be met. And usually these uh, criteria are in the hands of the people uh, that we have uh, trusted that authority. We call them um, 
uh, regulatory authorities in our countries. And um, I guess to answer partly your question, this is the area that uh, in sub-Saharan Africa we're probably lacking uh, uh, the level of capacity that we require. Already in terms of uh, ZMAP, for example, we have seen uh, uh, a few days ago a statement from uh, the National Ethics Committee of Nigeria stating its position, uh, saying that um, in normal circumstances uh, they would not accept uh, an untested product to go into any Nigerian. But in this case, they support the World Health Organization recommendation because of the argument given, and they have given a waiver uh, that ZMAP can be imported in Nigeria and be used on, on patients, and also samples taken from patients have no restriction to be exported outside Nigeria so that further analysis can be done. So this is, this is a, a specific niche that I think we need to develop in, uh, in, in sub-Saharan Africa because it's quite important, and in many cases, it can be a bottleneck for a quick um, delivery of effective interventions. Um, but in, in, in other cases, it is absolutely necessary to do so. So basically, uh, this is something that um, has happened out of the ordinary uh, in terms of uh, good clinical research practice, um, but with um, very good arguments that have been given and, you know, to address the catastrophe that uh, we, are, we are all seeing. Uh, so what I'm just saying is uh, the debate will continue and uh, facts will have to be uh, put on the table. Uh, the only thing that you could imagine in this case is that if there was massive administration of ZEDMA to patients in Africa and the drug tends to be unsafe or even worse than the virus itself or caused sequelae or some long-term uh, uh, abnormality in patients who recovered, then we enter into another area of debate. How do these people get compensated? Because this drug had no shown safety mm. and was administered massively to people and now has created a second problem. Mm. And because in, in clinical trial, that, that is all their gatekeepers that you control those processes. Mm. First, at every stable state, you involve what we call the data safety monitoring board that will monitor the side effects that are coming out of your study, and these have the power to stop the study or, or not, depending on which way uh, the pendulum is, is swinging. Mm. Mm. And in, in, in this case, it's a life-saving measure uh, that, you know, has, you know, has taken a consensus. But if these things, sequelae uh, uh, and other side effects arise, um, we, we may be faced with another ethical dilemma. Mm. So you see that there is a need to have strong capacity uh, in ethics debate on the continent. Mm. And in terms of the response, coming back to you, Sarah, from uh, uh, how people have responded in terms of uh, this authorization by the WHO, how has it been? 
Well, it's it's more of a it was a it was a series of recommendations. So it was the recommendations made by made by panels. Um, I think that um, essentially this is this is very controversial. Um, however, um, you know I think that it, and it started a very good discussion in this environment um, where there's a lot of fear and misunderstanding about Ebola. How do we how do we make sure that people clearly understand the risks they're taking in terms of these unproven interventions and ensure that their participation is voluntary? And I think that um, essentially it's, it's, caused a, it's caused a necessary uh, discussion and debate about how we do this in an ethical way to make sure that people truly understand the risks and give proper informed consent. Well, we're going to take a little break right now. It's just past uh, uh, the 30-minute mark, past 11 o'clock Central African time. We want to know from you, our listener, uh, what you think about the release of ZMAP, the unlicensed drug which has been made available to some West African countries. Let us know your thoughts, plus 27-823-325-905. That's our SMS number, plus 27-823-325-905. Or you can interact with us via Twitter at Channel Africa One. On the line, we are joined by Sarah Barber, the World Health Organization representative. She's based here in Pretoria, South Africa. And also we have Dr. Thomas Nirenda, the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trial Partnership, as well as Professor Lucille Bloomberg from the Division of uh, Public Health Surveillance and Response. But when we come back, I'd like us uh, to look at uh, how do we move forward in actually curbing this Ebola outbreak? What other measures can we use beyond uh, this particular virus, which, I mean, this particular vaccine or uh, drug that has been released currently, we were told and by a release by the WHO that a fully tested and licensed vaccine is not expected before 2015. So there is a long way to go, but we'll be back after this break. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, we're always giving you the latest on what's happening on the continent of Africa and having a conversation and really an understanding on issues that are happening on the continent. So thank you for joining us on African Dialogue. If you've just joined us, the time right now is 35 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. And you are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Today, we're continuing this discussion on on Ebola. It's been a series almost, and uh, we've been talking about it uh, on a regular basis here on African Dialogue. Because of the seriousness on this particular subject, and uh, we have uh, our guest on the line, and I think we've uh, just lost Professor Lucille Bloomberg, uh, but we still have Dr. Thomas Niranda and Sarah Barber on the line to help us understand how to deal with this particular issue. Now, coming back to you, Sarah, in terms of uh, how we can complement even the authorization of this ZMAP, what do we need to do moving forward in order to make sure that we contain this outbreak? 
Well, I think I appreciate very much this um, show on experimental therapies because I think it's a very, um, a very interesting and, and certain pro- certainly promising in the future. But it, it's critical to understand that the experimental therapies are not considered a solution to the current outbreak. So I think it's important not to create any unrealistic expectations. And we need to go back and look at some of those activities that are really need to stem the outbreak at its source. Um, what we really need is the international financial, technical support, and capacity building. And we need to essentially make sure that the, the health systems uh, are very strong. These are countries that have on, undergone decades of civil war. Uh, they have serious shortages of health workers, serious shortages of infrastructure, and we need to make sure that those health systems, the people and the infrastructure, particularly in rural areas, um, are in place and that we have strong laboratory systems to improve detection and quick confirmation of cases. We have to make sure, again, that pe- the patients are provided with a supportive therapy to give these patients a chance of survival. Um, while we don't have an effective treatment um, uh, yet, we can, still can provide patients with hydration, we can maintain um, oxygen status, and we can make sure that they um, have supportive palliative care. And we also have to be prepared um, to make sure we have what we call the core, core capacities for, for well, international health regulations for essentially preparedness and response. So we need to be able to put our surveillance systems into place, um, laboratory, uh, laboratory investigations, um, infection prevention and control, and also uh, have our uh, community mobilization and uh, uh, good, good messages for the media so that the people can understand what's going on. And uh, Dr. Thomas Nirenda, what uh, uh, Sarah is highlighting is very essential. There, also the messages that are being carried out through media. Uh, I've I've read some reports as well um, in terms of this new um, drug, and uh, some of them are a bit concerning. How do we deal with how how we message these uh, uh, issues across through media, and uh, not to actually sensationalize or sensationalize the issues or the, this these new developments that are taking place right now. Well, I, I think uh, the way we manage um, information sharing is, is really important. And uh, in this respect, um, uh, people like you, uh, journal editors, um, uh, newspaper writers, and you know, it's, it's quite key that we, we package the messages really well and uh, in a way that they are also well understood uh, by different levels of our community and those that need to take action, get a positive message out of it and do what is required of them, as uh, well as uh, those that are on the receiving end that need to uh, to put in practice what is uh, uh, being advocated. And obviously the way this is done in a research environment is completely different sometimes than the way it is done in a, in a population. And uh, this is comes back to the issues of capacity. Um, uh, the questions are, do we, do we have the necessary capacities where we have these uh, uh, outbreaks and cat- catastrophes to, to package uh, the information uh, according to the recipient and the appropriate media? Um, in, in a place where you put a banner, for example, on the road in English, uh, 
are most of the people able to read in English? How, how do you do that? And I think some of these issues are context-specific. Um, social scientists will use so many methods uh, depending on where they are. Uh, we have seen HIVS, for example, being uh, messages being driven through, mm. through uh, drama uh, in schools or in communities. We need that kind of innovativeness. Mm. So in as much as we need people in the laboratories and all, you know, good clinicians, uh, carers in, in the hospital, uh, good public health interventionists, um, we also need, you know, a good uh, message packaging so that um, we have a desired effect. Mm. And, and come back to you, Sarah, as we're about to, to wrap it up. In terms of the methods of how we co- quarantine uh, the certain populations, there's been a lot of misunderstanding there as well. Uh, what are the uh, recommendations from the WHO in terms of how to deal with the process of quarantining? Well, I think what, what's really critical is that patients, uh, once you confirm a case um, or even cases that are under investigation, that they're isolated. Um, and so what we've seen is that it's been quite difficult in some of these areas to isolate the patient so that we can protect the community and so that we can, we can uh, go through the process of fully investigating cases or a, in, in the case uh, that someone does have Ebola, that they're getting this care and treatment in a safe environment for themselves, for their families, um, as well as for the health workers that they're caring for them. So the WHO um, left it up to, to countries, essentially, if they felt that it was important um, to essentially use quarantine to be able to make sure that public health measures were in place, then it was up to those countries. And I think that that um, one of the areas that they've applied the quarantine is on the border area between Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone, where we have extremely intense transmission of cases in, in treatment centers as well as in communities. And I think that that this has been a very practical measure to be able to control the spread beyond um, those three countries. Um, but it's, it's critical to make sure that if you do have this type of a quarantine or this type of a limit for people, um, to limit people's uh, travel, that we make sure that they have access to care and treatment. There's been, in this area, there have been eight, um, eight treatment centers set up to be able to, to make sure that people can be followed, that can, people have supportive care, that they have sufficient food, that they have sufficient water. So it's quite important to make sure that people, um, um, you know, if, if you do place, if the countries do decide to place limits, that people can live, they can survive, they have water, they have what they need um, to be able to uh, survive. Well, we're about to wrap it up. I've got about two minutes. Any last thoughts from you, Dr. Nirenda? Well, I, I think uh, one of the messages that we need to really clear to people is that, uh, is that um, this kind of um, hemorrhagic uh, uh, viruses um, are controllable. And um, as long as people put in practice the recommended pra- uh, practice in these areas, depending on the mode of transmission, um, uh, this would be uh, the first step because... You know, the issue of developing vaccines and drugs usually takes a long time and takes resources and they may not be easily available. But at, at the doorstep, uh, 
you know, ready to use methods, and usually these surround sanitation, uh, good hygiene, um, and, 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 and prevention methods. I think that that is something that we can easily, as African countries, put money into uh, uh, to supplement the external assistance that we may get. Well, thank you to Dr. Thomas Nirenda, the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trial Partnership, as well as Sarah Barber, who was joining us later in the program from the World Health Organization, who is the representative based in Pretoria, South Africa. Thank you both for joining us on the program. Thank you. Thank you. And earlier on, we're also joined by Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who is uh, from the Division of Public Health Surveillance and Response. And uh, what are your thoughts on uh, this Ebola outbreak and the use of this drug titled ZMAP? Uh, it has been authorized by the World Health Organization, and uh, it has only been tested on monkeys. There are some people who are saying, hey, uh, Africans have been used as guinea pigs. I don't know, but it seems more complicated than that. But what are your thoughts? Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero. Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Time right now is eleven forty five Central African time. Let's get our business news from Musani Matebula. Thanks, Benjamin. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has conveyed optimism on Africa's economic integration. He was speaking at the 34th SADC Summit in Victoria Falls and Zimbabwe. Mugabe has affirmed that a discussion of topical issues affecting the regional grouping, including financing to key projects like the Kariba Dam and tackling poverty issues that threaten millions of, of people due to droughts in some parts of the region, will bring a solution. I have no doubt that the agenda before us will give us ample opportunity to take decisions which will make the organization even more effective and responsive to the needs of our people. Your Excellencies, and allow me, esteemed colleagues, to once again thank you for being with us. I hope you'll enjoy your stay in Zimbabwe, which is indeed your second home. Meanwhile, African Union Commission Chairperson Kosazana Lamini Zuma says contributing to Africa's economic growth is certainly an achievable goal of the AU. She was speaking at the 34th SADC Heads of State Summit in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe. Africa is receiving sustained focus by the rest of the world because it is now seen as the next growth pole and a continent of endless possibilities. But whilst they defined us as the development challenge of the 21st century, we as Africans defined the 21st century as Africa's century. Indeed, it will be Africa's century if we are able to navigate our social and economic transformation through leveraging the continental diverse resources for sustainable economic, social and cultural development. The Banking Association of South Africa says International Credit Ratings Agency Moody's is overreacting by downgrading local bank Capitec. Moody's uh, has cited concerns about Capitec's exposure to risky consumer lending as a reason for the downgrade. Capitec has called its two-notch downgrade unfair and the rationale behind it unfounded. Banking Association CEO Kas Kovadia says Capitec operates on a different business model from the troubled African bank. 
I think it is an overreaction. Capital does have a very different model. They are deposit-taking institutions. Customers transact with them through those accounts, uh, which is something that African Bank did not have. African Bank was not a deposit-taking institution. They were. They did not have any transaction banking business. They were a. They are a micro lender. And I think Moody's are overreacting. Ugandan power distributor Umeme Limited says its pre-tax profit dropped 19% in the first six months of the year due to a surge in repair costs and foreign exchange losses. Pre-tax profit dropped to $21.2 billion from $28.8 million in the same period last year as a repair and maintenance costs almost doubled to $512 million. The Ugandan shilling came under pressure earlier this year after the country enacted a harsh anti-homosexuality legislation in February that prompted Western nations to cut or suspend aid to the East African state. The economic growth that India has experienced over the last 10 years has been impressive, but there are concerns that too few new jobs have been created to meet the needs of the country's massive population of 800 million. The growth has lifted millions of people out of poverty, but large inequalities persist. The United Nations has one of its largest country programs in India, which is a key testing ground for UN development initiatives. UN resident coordinator Liz Grandet talks about the main success stories in India. India has made great strides in the last 20 years in improving living conditions in the country. You've seen poverty reduced by significant levels. There's been a major step forward in primary school enrollment. Now close to 100% of all children actually go to primary school. The spread of HIV-AIDS has been reversed, so the incidence level is actually decreasing proportionally. You've also seen tremendous economic growth, and this has been one of the key reasons why so many people in India, literally hundreds of millions of people, have been lifted out of poverty. Financial indicators, the dollar trading at 10.58 South African rands at 8.68 Botswana Pulas and 6.06 Zambian Quaches also at 0.59 to the British pound and 0.74 to the euro. On to commodities, gold $1,301, platinum $1,451 a fine ounce, Brent crude oil $102.89 per barrel. And that's how it's looking. It's 11.50, time for our sports. Uh, Figile Lingwati is standing by. Now, sports update this hour. we kicking off with football news. Nigeria Super Eagles will now host Congo in the Calabar in the 2015 AFCON qualifiers after initial opponents Rwanda were disqualified from the qualifying series. Congo's protest against Rwanda using an ineligible player has yielded fruits as Kef has thrown the Amavubi out of the series. Our Nigerian correspondent, Tony Ubani, reports. The Nigeria Survivors will now host Congo in Canada in the 2015 qualifiers after initial opponents won that were disqualified from the qualifying series. Congo's protest against Rwanda using an ineligible player has yielded fruits 
as CAF has thrown the Amavubi out of the series. Rwanda were disqualified from the AFCON 2015 qualifiers for fielding that the Birori in the playoffs. The player was found to have been playing in the DRC under another name, Ajiti Etakeyama, with a Congolese passport. An APR's defeat to KCCA of Uganda on Sunday night means that the Rwandan champions will meet with arch rivals Rayon Sports in the Sikafa Kagame Cup quarterfinals. That damned any prospects of having three Rwandan teams in the semifinals of the annual regional club showpiece. The military side lost 1-0 and finished second in Group B, with Rayon having already snatched the top spot in Group A. The lone goal came from Steven Bengo. On the 72nd minute, a wonderful free kick which gave goalie Olivia Quizera no chance. In athletics, three days after the completion of the Africa Athletics Championships in Morocco on Sunday, the European Championships also ended in Zurich. Our correspondent Geshom Nyati reports. Great Britain and Northern Ireland topped their medal standings with a total of 23 medals and 12 of them were gold. This was for the first time for the team to win the championship. Outstanding for the side was Mo Farah, who won the 5,000 and 10,000 meters, and young Adam Jamili, who won the 100 and 200 meters. Mo Farah, the Somali-born athlete, also a double gold medalist at the London Olympic Games, missed the Commonwealth Games due to illness. Team Great Britain filtered a new crop of athletes especially sprinters in Jody Williams, Bianca Williams and Dina Asher-Smith. France with the second best team with a total of 23 medals but three gold medals short to equal Great Britain. Germany and Russia were next in line. Israel, Portugal and Turkey were at the bottom of the medals table. At the Africa Championships in Morocco, South Africa were the best team finishing ahead of Nigeria and Kenya. Geshom Nyati, Channel Africa Sports, London. And the fastest man in the world, Jamaica's Usain Bolt, breezed past the competition on Rio de Janeiro's Copacabana Beach on the 17th of August, winning the second edition of the Manu Amanu competition held in the 2016 Olympic host city. The world record holder known as Lightning Bolt failed to reach his stated goal of coming in under 10 seconds, finishing at 10.06 Bolt says he will return to Brazil. Uh, yes, everybody knows I'm coming to 2016 Olympics, right guys? Everybody knows I'm coming. There's no doubt I'll be here. No worries. Finally, with rugby news, England ended a run of three straight final defeats with a 21-9 victory over Canada to be crowned Women's Rugby World Cup champions. The Red Roses, also champions in 1994, were beaten by New Zealand in the finals of the last three tournaments in 2002, 2006 and 2010. The black fans of New Zealand missed out on this year's showdown after a shock defeat by Ireland in the pool stages. With abbreviated rugby sevens to make its Olympic debut for men and women at the 2016 Rio Olympics, the 15-a-side final is a perfect publicity for the sports well-governing body, the International Rugby Board, IRB. That's the Sport News this hour.
Well, let's call it a wrap, and uh, that's all we have for today here on African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Interact with us via our Facebook page, it's titled Channel Africa, and Twitter, our handle there is at Channel Africa One. And uh, you can also SMS us your views here on Channel Africa on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. It's almost 12 o'clock Central African time, and now it's time for African Midday, which is coming up with Zikwana Miso to give you the latest on what's happening on the continent of Africa when it comes to current affairs. Tradición